God desires for us to understand His creation, how it was all put together by Him, how it was intended for us to recognize our Creator, the wonder of God, who He is, what He has done, how He responds to us and takes care of everything. It's amazing, amazing stuff when you look at the, the world we live in. On the other side, have you noticed, lady, that atheism seems to be trying to get a hold? You know, we begin to proclaim this concept prior to this last, oh, ten years or so. Uh, the concept of atheism, that there was no God, was something that was fairly well uh, put off to the side and fairly well hidden. But lately, uh, judging by the bookshore shelves and the TV talk shows, uh, some advertisements on buses, uh, subway trains, even huge road signs are being displayed, declaring this concept or idea that, that God really doesn't exist, and that it's a false concept that somebody's placed into your head and into your heart that you need to deny. Uh, Richard Hawkins, a book called The God Delusion, sold over two million copies. Two million copies. Now, I know a number of Christians that bought them too because they wanted to read it to find out the ideas that he brought forth, but that's okay. Christopher Hitchens, uh, his book, God is Not Great, was a bestseller, as well as um, Sam Harris's book, Letter to the Nations, to the Christian Nations, a bestseller book as well. There are a number of others, these prominent figures who refer to themselves as an atheist, but at the same time they feel driven to convert other people to their point of view, and they've had some success some of you may know some people around you that have a, expressed a uh, willingness to go along with these ideas or these concepts of, of atheism, atheism itself. Now, you just kind of say, why? Well, I think oftentimes it's because they've heard from books or a talk show or something some of the views that are expressed about atheism. In fact, let's take a look at them real quickly. This is from the movie Expelled. And this is a presentation by uh, Richard Hawkins, uh, Dawkins and, and a couple others. Now, if you take a look at that and you find yourself going, my goodness, all these highly educated, extremely, how do I put it, intelligent, I'll use that term loosely, uh, people, expression of view that espouses that God not only doesn't exist, but anyone that believes that, is foolish and, to a certain degree, evil. That's a pretty heavy statement. Can all these physicists and scientists be missing the mark? Um, I think, first of all, you have to understand that for many scientists, they look at the world from a naturalistic basis. And what that means is that they begin with a basic bias that says God doesn't exist, he can't exist, and if he did exist, it wouldn't really matter anyway. So with that bias in mind, they begin to develop a theory and a series of concepts or ideas by which they can remove God from society as a whole and from science entirely. So as he puts it here, we need to make religious beliefs, the recognition of who God is and what he has done is a side dish of life. It's kind of like, Broccoli. Eh? You want to eat it, it's good for you, but it doesn't really taste all that good. Eh? You can begin to get the idea that somebody said, I love broccoli. I went, yeah, there you go. Eh? But what about this theology of science, this demand that not only we reject God, but that we make science God? 
This concept or idea is one that is, I think, one we have to look at because we live in a society that recognizes that bent or that tendency. And what I want to do today is I want to share just a few simple, clear pictures of how creation itself points us clearly to the reality and the existence of God And secondly, that that same God that it points us to, it declares his love and his power and his intense desire to draw us close to him and to take care of us. Uh, In Romans one twenty, it reads like this. I want you to read that with me. From the time the world was created, people have seen the earth and sky and all that God made. And they can clearly see his invisible qualities, his eternal power and his divine nature. Now, you notice it said, see his invisible qualities. God has called us to a reasonable faith, not a blind faith. Let's pray. Father, today we come to you because we are your children, and we ask you'll continue to remind us of who you are and of how you continue to work in our lives and in the creation around us. We thank you so much for it. It benefits us so much. And we ask that today you'll guide us to a better understanding of how to worship and honor you as we look at creation, as we understand the marvel that sets before us. Thank you for providing it. Guide our time today, for we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. um, I want you to turn to Psalm 19. That will be a primary text for us today. Psalm 19 is a particular text in which David speaks to us about the simple recognition of God when we look at the creation that's all around us. That's all around us. Uh, and Genesis says, in the beginning, here he talks about uh, the heavens declare the glory of God. Uh, and I guess I would use this term. And if I was to give you one term to hold on today, here's the term I want you to hold on today. And you're turning to Psalm 19. That's okay. We're getting there. And that's this. Everything has a beginning. And God is the beginning of everything. Once you get that, everything has a beginning, and God is the beginning of everything. Can you say that with me? Everything has a beginning, and God is the beginning of everything. Okay, now you need to hold on to it because that's all we're going to talk about today is that simple truth that will be verified in your heart. You'll go, absolutely. But it also should be verified in your mind. Notice God tells us to love him with our mind, as we talked about last week and Pastor Eric shared with us, as well as with our heart and our emotion. So creation, first of all, declares the existence and the intelligence of God. As we look at creation, not only do we see the existence of God, but we also see the amazing intelligence of God. In Psalm 19, David says, The heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of his hands. Day after day, they pour forth speech. And night after night, they display knowledge. Now, there is no speech or language where their voice is not heard. Their voice goes out into all the earth, their words to the ends of the world. In the heavens, God has pitched a tent for the sun which is like a bridegroom coming forth from his pavilion, like a champion rejoicing to run his course. It rises at one end of the heavens and makes its circuit to the other. Nothing is hidden from its heat. The psalm starts out, the heavens declare the glory of God. No preface, no preamble, no uh, clarification, uh, no background, no introduction. He just says, the heavens declare 
the glory of God. He doesn't try to establish evidence for the existence of God. He doesn't argue about it. He doesn't try to go about convincing anybody. He just says emphatically, the heavens declare the glory of God. Why does he do that? And let me say this simply, because the existence of God is self-evident. It's obvious to all of us. In fact, we have to work at it to try and deny that self-existence. The heavens make it clear that God exists. And David obviously thought any man or woman who looks up at the skies and sees these billions of stars, and we haven't got a telescope yet, have no idea how far it reaches, would be an idiot not to say the heavens declare the glory of God. And that's his signature statement. He says there's no pause in their song. There's no sila. Think about it. It just goes on day after day, night after night. When the sun comes down, the stars come out. The moon is It just It keeps going. You look up, you see God. That's why I'm always telling you in my comments here, keep looking up. Keep looking up. You'll see God. You'll see evidence of Him regularly and consistently in your life. Actually, the Hebrew word for pouring forth is bubbling up. It's a picture of a natural spring that continually gives us fresh water supply. It's like a filter I've got in my refrigerator that keeps making the water cleaner. It's God keeps showing you again. Here I am. Look at it. Isn't this amazing? Look what I made. Look what I made. And I look at that and I think, wow, this is so incredibly marvelous. And and the creation doesn't have the gift of speech, but it makes a universal cry to all the earth that the hand that made us is divine. It's a concert of colors and patterns and light and contrasts and shapes and a proportion that sings out praise to God. The same moon that we see in our sky It doesn't matter whether you go to Hawaii or whether you go to Africa. You look up and you see the same moon. No matter where you go, you see the same stars. We're absolutely awed by all that it is from Moscow to Memphis, Rome to the rainforest. You're getting the idea. Everywhere there's evidence of God. And David even pictures the... The son is a bridegroom, this newly married groom that's coming out of a wedding pavilion with incredible joy and radiance, rounding the bases, going throughout the entire sky, proclaiming God's glory, celebrating who God is and what he has done. That's the cry of David in relationship to this marvelous, marvelous thing. Moses in Genesis, he starts off with, in the beginning, God. In the beginning, God, because Everything has a beginning. And God is the beginning of everything. Everything has a beginning. God is the beginning of everything. No argument, no preface, just in the beginning, God. And that's not a sign of ignorance. It's a sign of revelation. It's an acknowledgement of who God is and what he has done. Later on, Paul, a far more learned man in many ways, would turn to the church and he would say, what may be known about God is plain to all of us because God has made it plain to us. For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power, his divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made so that men and women are without excuse. He's saying, I can see the sign of God's existence in all of creation, and so can you. 
So can everyone. The deeper we look, the more obvious it becomes. We get a telescope, we find out the stars are far more magnificent than we ever thought they were. We get a microscope, we find out that that little teeny piece of blood that you had dropping down there, you start going, oh my goodness, look at the cells, look at the breakdown. Look, it wasn't simple at all. It's incredibly complex. Each drop of blood is so complex. It's literally beyond our comprehension. We have to use a computer to begin to break down an understanding of it because we can't get it. And yet God says, I created that instantly. I created that by my power. You look at the night sky, you see the ocean waves. You, you go down to the beach. I go down, Mary and I go down regularly. We'll have a little prayer time in the mornings. And it's just marvelous. And you look out on it. Get out in the boat and go out about a mile and you'll be scared spitless. You'll be out there going, I'm not sure I can get back. I can't see the, I can't see the end anymore. The beginning. Well, how do I get here? And we depend upon compasses and directions. And the sea reminds you of the vastness of God. How incredible he is. An indictment when we look at all these things of the presence of God. And if you don't see God in the midst of it, it's an indictment of your lack of perspicacity. Lack of insight, lack of faith, or just limited perspective. The heavens declare the glory of God. And the word glory talks about all the beauty of God. His wisdom, his knowledge, his intelligence, his skill, his attention to detail, his mathematical, scientific, and architectural precision that is so far beyond anything that we can even begin to imagine. You look at creation and we go, I'm amazed. I'm in awe. I respond with faith to it. Today, a group of scientists said, you know, let's let's talk about one simple process by which we see God. We'll come up with this basic theory or concept called intelligent design. Intelligent design. And it essentially comes up of three primary things. First of all is that there are certain design parameters in relationship to intelligence. That if these designs show up on a regular basis, you can assume that intelligence is behind it. Secondly, it's the idea of there are certain irreducible complexities in life. They just simply couldn't just happen because you want them to happen. They're just too complex to come into play. And thirdly, DNA and the biological information is so overwhelming in its preciseness and not a sense of accident that we find ourselves coming to this conclusion. Somebody intelligent designed this. And that's all it's trying to say. Somebody intelligent must have designed this. Uh, Lee Strobel is a journalist, uh, newspaper writer. Now he's a pastor. He, he tells about how science, first of all, led him away from God. And then when he began to study and investigate it more carefully, as he looked at the complexity of design and creation, he had a change of heart. He saw these design parameters, this finely tuned universe, this solar system, the perfect earth. And he began to share the Big Bang, as it's called, had to be fine-tuned so precisely that it, it boggled my mind. He said the precision had to be something like 10 to the 55th power. That's 10 followed by 55 zeros. And what that means is if the Big Bang had launched itself just a little teeny bit faster... 
It would have expanded too fast to permit the formation of galaxies and solar systems and planets. If its initial speed had been just a little bit slower, then gravity would have forced it to collapse back on itself. Either way, just a teeny tiny bit less precise, and life would never have formed. The conditions of the universe are fine-tuned for the emergence and the sustenance of human life. And just about everything about the basic structure of our universe is balanced on this rager's edge for life to exist. The universe is so exquisitely calibrated that the great scientist Sir Frederick Hoyle simply said, a super in- intellect must have monkeyed with the physics. By the way, I've got a little video here. It's just fun by Lee Strobel. I don't care. And you know, this young lady back here, I already told her because she teaches science at school. It's one of our... It's just a, just a fun video. And Lee does such a nice job of presenting some, some great ideas. You see, the wonderful thing about God is that he continues to provide us with amazing apologist. I still remember a friend of mine in Bakersfield. He came to know Christ and he was a genius at this level that when he would talk, I just kind of looked at him. Didn't. I was like, dude, you're, you're beyond me. He was, at, he was involved in the uh, beginning process of developing NASA and his, his, you know, his IQ was off the charts and so was he. He was in another world. He lived in another world, but he came to know God and he was such a strong, apologetic Christian in relationship to why we believe God is. And he would go off on a tangent. I'd find myself going, whoa, 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 take it easy. You're way past me. You're way past me. And he, would just, he was just so excited as he saw God again and again in, in the wonder of physics. He saw God again and again in the incredible truth of biological complexities. And he began to share, look, and what I used to think was, and now I know is, and he'd say that over and over again, what I used to think was, and now I know is, and he was so excited because those questions and that doubt had been destroyed. And now he was a man of God who loved God deeply and who was on the fight to declare that truth and willing to battle with anybody intellectually that desired to get into the cage with him. And nobody wanted to. <laughs> nobody wanted to get in that cage with this guy. It was just like, wow, God sure gifted him. Oh, excuse me, I shouldn't say that. <laughs> That's a joke. There you go. But Okay, good. Some of you got it, some of you didn't. Yeah. And I'm aware that some people believe modern science has shattered all possibility of faith in a God who created this world and this universe. But nothing could be further from the truth. Modern scientists give more and more reasons to believe David's words in Psalm 19 when he said, the heavens declare the glory of God. In fact, interestingly enough, Adam Clark says the heavens number out the glory of God would be just as good of a translation of that declaring. It numbers it out. As you look at the heavens, all this air will continue to show one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, all the way around all these reasons to believe in a marvelous, incredible God. Our earth and our universe is so finely tuned to support life that it literally obliterates the possibility that it's the result of random forces. Everything has a beginning. And God is the beginning of what? Of everything, yeah. The other thing I tell you is that science and faith are not enemies, never have been. 
In fact, they work together in completely different realms in the quest for truth. And faith will point you directly to a designer. You just simply have to decide who is that designer. Uh, Most people don't realize that the early scientists of our revolution were all believers. Albert Mangus, the grandfather of geology, strong Christian. Newton, who founded calculus. Robert Boll, who founded modern chemistry. Copernicus, the astronomer. Galileo. The Catholic Church rejected Galileo for 300 years, not based on the teachings of the Bible, but based on Catholic philosophy that was flawed. Had nothing to do with what God had said. It had to do with interpretation of what other people wanted him to have say. And I believe the deeper I dig in, the more obvious it becomes that science points us to faith in God and to this incredibly marvelous designer himself. How many of you believe that something can come out of nothing? A few of you can kind of raise your hand. Hold on, think about that. Can something come out of nothing? None of you believe that. Something comes out of nothing. And you see, well, I believe that God can make something out of nothing. Go, And there you go. And that's exactly... Interestingly enough, even Jesus, when he chose to take creation itself and multiply the bread and the fish, he started with the bread and the fish. I thought it was very interesting. He doesn't choose to go outside of what God has already created, but he takes what he's created and he multiplies it and feeds over 5,000. I've been asking for some of that in some of our meals here and so far. You know, it hasn't happened. You guys are eating too much. I'm not sure how it comes out here, okay? Uh, The writers of CSI, the TV production, which is kind of fun, the evidence leads to what? The conclusion, yeah. Always leads to the conclusion. The idea that hydrogen kissed a frog, I mean a bit of bacteria and it became a frog, after 2 billion years or 5 billion years or 20 gazillion years, you see, what we have to do is we have to make the time so far off that it begins to make some kind of sense to us. We begin to go, well... I struggle with that, but maybe it comes off sounding to me like an adult fairy tale itself. If Dawkins wants to talk about the fairy tales of the Bible, I'll talk about the fairy tales of faith and science. There's a ton of them over and over and over again. Uh, The idea that a simple organism becomes a complex one through the theory of accommodation takes a lot of faith. Everyone here, you know that systems tend to deteriorate. Just go and look out the rust on all that. We're constantly painting, constantly fixing. Things are easily destroyed, but it takes a lot of work and effort to build something. We've seen that in life over and over and over again. It's always been that way. Isaac Newton said you should take a telescope and he'd look out thousands of miles into space. And after he was done, he would lay it aside, go into his room, shut the door, get on his knees in prayer and see more of heaven and feel closer to the Lord than if he were assisted by all the telescopes on earth. As he began to interact with this wondrous, incredible, glorious God. Paul Davis wrote a book called The Mind of God. The mind of God. And he talks about how it was physics that led him to a belief in God. It was a sure pathway to God than any other source. It directed him to the complexity and the intelligence of the universe. It points to a creator, to someone who's beyond our comprehension. John Polkenholm was an acclaimed mathematical physicist. Cambridge University said, if I applied this, a lot of the same principles to science that we apply to life, everything begins to work in relationship to faith with God. How many of you have ever seen a quark? Any of you ever seen a quark? And some of you say, I've seen a quark. No, you've seen a quark. You haven't seen a quark because you can't. 
It's impossible. A quark is smaller than an atom. How many of you have seen an atom? Unless you guys have been to a super collider somewhere. You know, you may have got there. A quark is invisible to human eyes. Can't see it. But any scientist say, of course it exists. I can't see an atom. I can look as close as I want. I can't see it. I recognize that it's there. I believe it by faith. Because it's been proven through a series of things that tells me this must be true. I believe in quarks. It makes sense with all the other evidence that's available. I believe in God. Why? Because it makes sense with all the other evidence that's available. As simply and difficultly put as that. I've never seen him. Not with my physical eyes. I've heard him. I've experienced him. I've felt him. All these things... I believe in who he is because the evidence points me to who he is. How does life come from non-life? Time plus change in ad infinitum. Uh, a million years, billion years, gazillion years. It doesn't matter how many years you put on it. I find myself going, it just doesn't make sense. Uh, again, Sir Frederick Hoyle put it this way. He said, he said, believing that that happened is like believing that a tornado whipping through a junkyard pieced together a Boeing 747 complete with a stewardess ready to board and take off. Yeah. Go, wow. Could it have happened? Could it have happened? Well, most people say no. Totally, totally impossible without somebody being involved in the process. It can't happen. Never has, never will. Search a little bit farther. Think about the complexity of DNA, living cells. We'll go to the next step. Michael Behe, through the, his work in molecular biology, comes to a belief in intelligent design, wrote a book called Darwin's Black Box. And he states that in the last 10 to 15 years, we've discovered that the basic proteins that make up cells and DNA structures and the elementary parts of life, just basic parts of life, the human body has over 100 trillion cells. If you unravel the DNA in one of those cells, it would be up to nine feet in length. The information stored in one of those cells is about 500 million words. His comment, and I quote, it's nothing Darwin would have ever conceived or been able to fathom. What we are finding is the more we learn about cells, the more we learn about DNA, the more complex they actually are. Are. Uh, Frederick Crick, who won the Nobel Prize for his discovery of DNA, was one at, once asked, what are the probabilities of a single molecule of DNA coming into existence by chance? Not multiple, not the hundred trillion cells, just one, the probability. And his conclusion was this, 0.0%. Uh, do you understand what that is? Impossible. Zip. Nada. Couldn't happen. Ever. Couldn't. That was his conclusion in relationship to that area. Uh, Rex Sandage, one of the leading observation cosmologists in the world. Okay, He spent his life quantifying the expanse of the universe, finding quasars, other solar systems, staring up the most powerful telescopes on all of planet Earth. And everybody knew he was an atheist. He stands up at a talk in Dallas, Texas, where he's at a conference. And he stands up and he says, at the age of 50, I have come to believe in God and I have become a Christian. Talk about a big bang. 
The whole conference, silence. You've got to be kidding me. And then a few scientists around the area in the back begin to clap and rejoice over what took place in his life. He said later, it was my science that drove me to the conclusion that the world is much more complicated than can be explained by science. It was only through the supernatural that I came to understand the mystery of existence. The leading observation cosmologist in the world through his exploration of the order of the universe, the stars, the galaxies, eventually the heavens declared what? The glory of God. And he found himself going, the skies proclaimed the work of his hands. And I was no longer able to resist that truth. Everything has a beginning and God is the beginning of everything. Watch this clip that's fascinating. A really excellent video that walks through some of these things. Pick up the video, Expelled. You can go on Amazon and, and grab a hold of it. An excellent presentation to help us understand the wonder of who God is and what he's done in our life. All right? So along with these same ideas or concepts, we've said science consistently points us to an intelligent designer. But it also points us to a reasonable faith. It was Mark Twain who said, Faith is believing what you know ain't true. <laughs> well, that's not true. Faith has its own reasons that back it up and support it. It's not just blind in its process, and it's not without reason. That's why the writer of the Hebrews said, Now faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. General revelation points us to a God who is incredibly capable, overwhelmingly intelligent. And there are certain design parameters, a number of irreductible uh, complexities, a remarkable, remarkable discoveries of, CN of DNA and biological clarification of information that bring us to the simple conclusions. That's this. For my thoughts are not your thoughts. Neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. Everything has a beginning. And God is the what? Yes, he is. Yes, he is. But creation doesn't end with this declaration of how marvelous God is. It continues with the declaration of how much he loves us. How much he loves us. I'm going to ask the worship team to come up. And as they, we're going to go into this second section here as they come up and prepare and get ready to lead us in some marvelous song. One song in particular that I want them to lead us in called Indescribable. Uh, the same David who wrote, The heavens declare the glory of God, wrote this in Psalm 8, verse 1. O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You've set your glory above the heavens. And when I consider the heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon, the stars, which you set in place, what is man that you're mindful of him, the son of man that you care for him? Many times when I want to show my love to my wife, I'll buy her something special like flowers or sometimes I'll buy candy or maybe golf clubs. Whatever. <laughs> and she'll say, I appreciate that so much because it tells me that you, what? Love me. It tells me that you love She said, it's about the thought. It's not about the gift. She even likes the golf clubs. <laughs> because it says, I'd like for you to go with me and play golf. I'd like for you to be part of that aspect of my life and enjoy it 
uh, together. She said, maybe someday that can happen. (laughs) Think about this. The God who created the constellations, who plumbed the depths of the sea, who invented oxygen, molecules, and DNA, not only sees you and notices you, he not only cares for you, he went to great lengths to know he loves you deeply. And he shares with us this marvelous gift of creation that is truly indescribable. So incredible. I just had uh, Scott share with me this simple quote from Louis Pasteur, who was the inventor uh, of rabies vaccine, pasteurization. He also um, had a number of things that brought health and, and hope to us. He said this, A little science estranges men from God, but a lot of science brings them back to him. A lot of science brings them back to him. Powerful, incredible, marvelous as we come to know God more fully and more completely. You see, here's the truth. God can only be known as he makes himself known. God can only be known as he makes himself known. Most religions of the world about man reaching up, trying to find God, but Christianity is about God reaching down to us and explaining what's taking place. He unveils, he discloses himself to us, that which was previously hidden. The more you know about God, the more you realize you don't know much about God. He is so far beyond my comprehension, but what I can comprehend is incredible. His love is his care, his concern. Isaiah said, who can understand the mind of God? Only God himself can. And he reveals himself to us as this wonderful creator God. Whenever I do a wedding, I always say that this is a time in which a couple are making their life public. They go public with their love. And God, when he shows creation to us and brought down his son, he went public with his love to share with us, I love you guys so much and look who I am. You can't marry any higher than me. I am unbelievable. Hebrew word in this particular case simply means the creator God. Natural revelation declares and reveals God's creative power, his greatness. The beauty of a sunset, uh, a beach, mountain ranges, a flower, the laugh of a little child, a snowflake. The signs and the sound of nature awaken us to the glory and the beauty and the transcendence of God. These acts of God are so incredible, they're fascinating as we see God's symphony being declared to us over and over, a song sung by God saying, there's who I am. This is what life is about. Come to me and you'll learn and you'll understand. I still remember in Borrego Springs, this major metropolitan area located <laughs> in the middle of nowhere. It's a town of about 150 people. And uh, it's, it's a lights out town. I mean, it's a dark town, so they're not supposed to be lights at night. But I, I got in my car and I drove off about, about a half mile out of town. I pulled over to the side, turned off my lights, got out of my car, and fear hit me. It was so dark. I, w- I could not see my hand in front of my face. And then I looked up and I saw these incredible stars 
everywhere. And I was like, oh my, yeah, God. <laughs> wow. He is so incredible what he has made and shared with us. Natural revelation is so clear and obvious and understandable that the notion of suppressing the truth is alive and well in our culture, but all you got to do is turn off all the lights and look up, and you'll find yourself going, hmm. Or you can turn off all the lights and look down through incredible microscopes, and you'll go, oh my. Because over and over again, you'll see God. Everything has a beginning. And God is the beginning of everything. More and more and more, the scientific establishment is coming to this conclusion. The fool says in his heart, there is no God. I love the quote from Robert Jastrow. He's the former head of NASA, Goddard Space Institute, and he says this, For the scientist who has lived by his faith in the power of reason, the story of the Big Bang ends like a bad dream. He has scaled the mountains of ignorance. He's about to conquer the highest peak. And as he pulls himself over the final rock, he is greeted by a band of theologians who have been sitting there for centuries. <laughs> so it's John Piper who says, I believe nature is the prep school for our affections, readying us to delight in God. Or as Solomon put it, God has set eternity in the hearts of men, yet they cannot fathom what God has done from beginning to end. Marvelous God that we have. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much that you are a God who reveals himself. That you not, not choose to hide yourself, to put us into a dark box where we'd find ourselves wandering around, wondering what life was about. But you chose to reveal yourself for the sun and the stars and the sky and the flowers and people and life and DNA and atoms and quarks and on and on and on it goes. And as we look deeply, we see your face. And we would ask today that you might enable us to see you even now, your son, as we come to you as sinners whose Darkness within ourselves just causes us to be unable to see the light of your revelation. Because of our sin, we find ourselves struggling to see truth. Lord, we pray that you would open our eyes. We admit our sin, we admit the darkness, and we ask that you would take it away. We know that it's only through your son's death revealed to us so that we could have life that we can have that wonderful privilege that the one and only Son, your Son, came and died for us so that we could have life now and we could see you in all your greatness and in all your glory. We come to you and we ask today that you might allow us to see. We confess that Jesus is the Son of God, that he died for our sins, and we ask that he might come into our lives and become the center of our universe. Father, allow that to happen today. For anyone here that hasn't made that commitment, Lord, I pray that you would give them the ability to respond to that and to discover you. Thank you, Lord, as you do that even now. Thank you, Jesus, for all you've done. 
and all you are. Amen. Amen. And C.S. Lewis put it this.